This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groniger and Clint Schweitzer. Well, it is officially Pro Football Hall of Fame weekend here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger. And Noah, today we're going to be kind of taking you guys behind the curtain a little bit, talking about the Hall of Fame induction, specifically that of former Chiefs, Eagles, Rams coach Dick Vermeil. A good friend of ours who we've had on the show many times, and none other than CBS broadcaster himself, Trent Green, is going to be joining us to talk about Coach, what makes him special, what makes him a Hall of Fame-worthy candidate, and just to see Coach go in this weekend is going to be super special. Noah, it's the Hall of Fame is on us. The Hall of Fame game is on us in just a few short hours, so here we go. Football season's kicking off. And what better way to do it here on the Elite Sports Podcast than having Trent Green join us? This is a real treat, is it not? It absolutely is. I mean, one of the most high-powered offenses in Chiefs history. Trent Green was the captain of all that. We know the great offensive line, the weapons that we had in the backfield, split out at receiver. I mean, Dick Vermeil was the head of all that. He was the offensive guru. And uh, man, those were some fun times to watch. Didn't quite have the defenses, but Dick Vermeil gave us some exciting times. When we had some downtimes after Marty Schottenheimer retired, Dick Vermeil brought uh, some winning football, exciting football back to Kansas City. Didn't quite get it done in the postseason because of the lack of defense, but it's going to be exciting to have Trent Green here talking about his former coach, Dick Vermeil, very deservingly getting into the Hall of Fame. Well, I look back to Trent Green's career here in Kansas City, and I think it's vastly underrated. This is a quarterback that threw for 4,000 yards, four straight seasons uh, from 02 to 05, really helped spearhead what was, you mentioned, an absolutely prolific offense throughout that time, of course, with Priest Holmes, Dante Hall, Tony Gonzalez, that amazing offensive line. It all helped, but Trent Green came in coming off of knee surgeries, and we're going to talk about that, the knee surgery that he had, the severity injury he had in 99 that sort of paved the way for Kurt Warner to take over and to win that Super Bowl, greatest show on turf. But going into that season, Trent Green was the guy that was to lead that offense and then to finally get his shot to lead a franchise. He comes to Kansas City in 01, and uh, he's here until 2006. So great memories of Trent Green being here. We know those teams didn't quite get it done in the playoffs. We'll talk about that. We got a lot of things to talk about with Trent Green. We're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, the loaded AFC. It's all coming up here, Noah. That must mean it's football season. Man, that must mean there's a different, different pep in our step. You know, I was just at Mizzou practice earlier, and I know you're not feeling good today, my man. I, I was up there just getting the reports, checking out the, the quarterback situation. And it just, I was like, it's, it's football season. It kind of hits you every year that this is a special time. And when we start getting dialed into it, there's nobody that does it better than here at Starcade Media Elite Sports Podcast to start it off with Trent Green. And as Karen Carpenter would say, Noah, we've only just begun. Absolutely. we got some great guests coming up. Stay tuned. We're going to have Jared Allen for you as he enters the Minnesota Vikings ring of honor. He is their inductee for 2022. And man, we're going to have it all season long shows, guests. We've got you covered. Starcademedia.com. We're going to have the articles, the update uh, news. And so you just want to stay tuned, stay locked in here to Starcade Media. And man, you were right. We are kicking it off 
there's no other way that we could kick it off than with Trent Green talking about Dick Vermeil getting into the Hall of Fame. This is perfect. We want to remind everyone that uh, this interview is brought to you by our good sponsors, Royal Roofing and Solar. Hit them up, royalcontractingkc.com. That's our good friends, Austin Watterson. Oh, of course, Solar Mike, the Solar Cowboy. Are you kidding me? You want to save money? You want to have like almost no energy bill? Hit us up. Hit uh, them up there at Royal Roofing and Solar. Family owned, local, Kansas City, Missouri, all around. They'll come do it. No job uh, too big for our guys. So we want to give them a big shout out because without them, we couldn't do what we do here. So Royal Roofing and Solar, Noah, without them, we would we would just be sort of fluttering along in the wind, as they say. So. Thank you, Austin, and our good friends at Rail Roofing and Solar. Without further ado, we want to take you to this week's interview on the Elite Sports Podcast. We're talking Pro Football Hall of Fame with none other than CBS Sports' Trent Green. Got you good, Trent. Thanks so much, man. How's everything going? Good, good. Just uh, just scrambling, trying to get everything done before, uh, before heading to Canton. Yeah, this is a big weekend. We thought maybe you were already on hand as, of course, uh, the game kicks off here tonight. Trent, what do you make of these Hall of Fame games uh, as we kind of get started here. Uh, obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence not starting. A lot of starters kind of sitting this one out. We're just a couple weeks, not even into training camp. And it's kind of like, oh, here's a football game. Here we go. You know, what, what do you kind of take from these Hall of Fame games? It's just kind of a good way to kick the season off and not really look too much deeper into it. You know, I, I think as a, as a player, uh, things have changed quite a bit over the year in terms of, you know, the, the number of preseason games, the number of con, n- number of contact or padded practices uh, that go on during training camp, the fact there's no more two-a-days. Uh, a lot of things have changed. And, and you know, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to play in a couple of the Hall of Fame games, which gave us an extra preseason game. And, and when I say fortunate enough to play because – as a young player, you know, I was an eighth round pick and I was a guy that, that ended up getting cut a couple times and trying to get my footing in the league. Those preseason games were vital for me. Uh, and having an extra preseason game was even more important uh, because it gave me more reps of, of live action. So to, to get in front of coaches, to get in front of scouts and, uh, and let my game be seen. So even though, as you mentioned, uh, it sounds like Lawrence and Etienne aren't going to play for, for the Jaguars. And, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for guys that are trying to make the roster because they're going to be the ones playing most of this game and they're going to be the ones playing most of the preseason. Those guys fighting for, you know, the final 10 to 15 spots, this is going to be vital for them. Yeah, and speaking of preseason, while we're on that topic, uh, you're joining Ari Wolf and Kimmy Checks again to, uh, to call the Chiefs preseason games that was just announced today. So welcome back, another uh, Chiefs preseason that you'll be on the call. Just kind of what are your feelings, emotions, coming back to Arrowhead, calling those preseason games for the Chiefs? You know, it, it's been a great partnership. Uh, this will be my 12th season. It would have been a 13th season if the, the one preseason wasn't canceled because yeah. of COVID. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing the Chiefs preseason games since 2010, and, and it's uh, – I love being an Arrowhead, uh, you know, outside on the grass. It's just I have so many fond memories uh, of being in that stadium. And, uh, you know, even though they've made a bunch of changes since I played in there, it still has that same feel. It still has the meat and potatoes of the inside of the stadium. When you're down in the tunnel, when you're on your way to the locker room, you know, all those things are all still the same, you know, down in there. And so, uh, yeah, it, mean, it means a lot to me and uh, really looking forward to it. This will be the third year with Ari Wolf, and and uh, he and I have had a, had a, had a good combination now for a couple of preseasons, and I'm excited that uh, that we'll be doing it again uh, again this year. 
Well, we're all excited for the uh, festivities here in Canton this weekend. Of course, uh, guys like Tony Baselli, uh, Cliff Branch, Leroy Butler, Sam Mills, and Richard Seymour and Bryant Young all getting in. But, uh, of course, Dick Vermeil getting into the Hall of Fame this year, Trent. This is uh, tremendous. We have Coach on our, our podcast quite a bit here, so it's great to have you as well and to sort of talk about Coach and what he means to you. And I know we had him on right after it got announced uh, several months ago that he w- had gotten in and just the jubilation on his face and to see, you know, the excitement level for him. And for you, I mean, this is a coach that uh, took a chance on you, not just once, but twice, two different franchises to lead his team. Just kind of talk about your relationship with Coach Vermeil on and off the field and ca- what it means to you now to see him uh, getting that bust in Canton. You know, I can't tell you how excited I am for him, uh, for he and Carol both, uh, for their kids, for their grandkids. You know, now they even have a couple of great grandchildren. And, and you know, I've known that family, uh, known the Vermeil family for over 20 years. Uh, and and it just I'm just so excited and so happy for him. I know I know how much this means to him. And even though, you know, in previous years when uh, when he wouldn't make the final cut and get in, uh, get into Canton, uh, you know, he said all the right things and did all the right things uh, in terms of how he handled that disappointment. But uh, but I know it means a lot to him. And and I can't tell you, you know, how excited I am for him um, that it's happening at this point in time, uh, because he's going to, you know, I think I can't wait to hear his speech. Hopefully he gets mm. through. We, we all know <laughs> yes. how emotional he is. Uh, there is I'm going to I'm going to tell you this right now, whatever the over under is on his making the eight minute time limit. Whatever, whatever that is, I'm I'm going the over. I'm going to over 100. I don't even I don't even know if they have odds on it because I think everybody'd be betting the over on that because there's no way that he's going to be able to, uh, you know, to thank and to to mention all the people that he wants to mention and and talk about because you know you talk about, you know, what he did for the Philadelphia Eagles, what he did for the city of Philadelphia. You know, he still lives outside of Philly and still has a close relationship, you know, to the fans of the Eagles and and you know what what he meant to that city and in, in turning things around you know we got to see a glimpse of it uh you know in the Vince Papali movie mm-hmm. you know that they made and you kind of got to see always oh, you know trying out guys off the street and he's <laughs> trying out uh you know mailmen and bartenders and everybody else he was you know so he has such a great uh, connection with the city of Philadelphia and then obviously uh what happened in St. Louis um getting things turned around losing his losing his team in the 90s and then all of a sudden in year three uh, you know, wins the Super Bowl and brings world championship to uh, to St. Louis, and then coming over to Kansas City, uh, giving me another opportunity. As you mentioned, uh, I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, we made the playoffs. We led the league in points. We led the league in scoring. Uh, you know, total offense, all those kinds of things. We just couldn't get it done in the postseason. And and you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, I still I still tell coach, you know, all those. Uh, uh, when those those the past few years when when he wasn't selecting to the Hall of Fame, I was like, Coach, you know, I I, I feel bad because I feel like had we done more in the postseason, you know, he, you would already be in. Mm. I, I think you I think you deserve to be in, and I think you will eventually get in. But I think because of uh, you know had we been able to do some more things here in Kansas City, that it would have been much quicker. But I'm glad that he's finally getting the opportunity to get in. He and I have stayed close over the years. As I mentioned, I I know his family pretty well also and so uh yeah this is just gonna be a great weekend of celebrating coach well and coach he doesn't have a big ego by any means but my goodness trent he's now been portrayed in two feature films by uh two of the best actors in hollywood greg kinnear and then uh, dennis quaid in this last one american underdog so i mean 
just keep heaping it on him. He's got, he, you can't beat that, right? That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, it's, it's very cool. Uh, I remember, you know, when we were at training camp up in River Falls and, and Greg Kinnear came out and hung out with us for a couple days um, just because he wanted to watch coach on the field. He wanted to watch his mannerisms, wanted to see, you know, how he talked to players, how he carried himself. Uh, and, and that was really cool to see, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Greg Kinnear's and, and just to see him hanging out at training camp and going to meetings and going around. It's, uh, you know, just how serious he took that job of, of portraying, you know, Coach Vermeil was, uh, was pretty cool to see. What made Coach Vermeil stand out? What makes him so deserving as a Hall of Famer? Uh, stand out from all the other coaches that you had. I mean, a lot of people talk about how he cares about the players, his emotions. He's a player's coach, but then you have these tough, physical, demanding practices. You mentioned River Falls. Uh, I, w- I went up there 2004 to watch you guys, and man, those were some grueling practices. Uh, but what makes him stand out in a deserving Hall of Famer? Well, I, I think there's a number of things. I think a deserving Hall of Famer, the answer to that would be, you know, the fact that he turned around, you know, three organizations, uh, you know, more specifically, the Eagles, you know, had been down for such a long time. The Rams mm-hmm. had been down for such a long time and, and getting them, you know, both to the Super Bowl. The the, the Chiefs, they'd had a, a couple of down years. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, yeah. Marty had some tremendous seasons uh, as the head coach, Marty Schottenheimer did of, of the Chiefs. So, it wasn't in the same situation as maybe the two other organizations, but um, so over the years, that's what a lot of the criticism has been about him not getting into the hall of fame is if you look at his overall one loss record, you know, it doesn't match up to some of the other guys. While, while I dispute that every single time I would dispute that hands down. I'm like, yeah, but look at some of these hall of fame coaches and what they took over, where the organizations were, where the teams were, who, who they had as players on the thing on, on their, on their team. And so, um, give him all the credit. And I think that's why, you know, he's, he's more than deserving to get into the hall of fame because of what he was able to do in getting organizations and teams, you know, into the playoffs and, and ultimately, you know, winning a Super Bowl, you know, with the St. Louis Rams. Now, now the other part of your question was what, what makes him different? Uh, I I've got a lot of cl- coaches that I'm still close with. Um, and then, and then I value their friendship. I value what they did for me and my career and my family. Um, but coach for um, took it a step further and you brought up the fact about uh, being a people person or, you know, it was about people. And, that, and that's something he always mentions every time. If you look at his principles of, of being a coach or principles of just being a good person, you know, it's about people and, and how you treat people and making people, you know, feel valuable and feel needed and feel wanted. Um, he was a guy, you know, I've told this story a few times where, you know, he would cut people, you know, as emotional it is, it is for a player getting cut, and I was cut several times, emotional as it is as a player getting cut, if the guy sitting across from you is crying while he's cutting you, that, that, I mean, that's just, I mean, you think it's like a cutthroat business, but he felt bad when he had to cut people. And, uh, you know, just the relationships he built with people, the, the you know, having, having players and coaches over to his house for dinner in the offseason, having, you know, rotating all the position groups so everybody – at some point in time was in his house eating dinner. Um, that was always something that he thought was important and, and, you know, just makes the team build, build the team even more. And, and, you know, so from a relationship standpoint, I think that's what separates him as a head coach is just how much he cares for you, how much uh, he let you know that he cares for you. Uh, and that doesn't mean that he wasn't demanding. You mentioned the long practices in river falls. And if you talk to his, his Eagle players and he's talked to the Rams players, you know, they talk about how, how grueling those practices were. Um, he was very demanding. 
uh, as much as he would love you or uh, uh, give you a hug and tell you he loved you, you know, he also was demanding. He's like, listen, this, this is a standard that we need to play at and we need to perform at. And this is what we want to get done. And as much as I love you, if you're not getting it done, I'm going to, I'm going to chew on your tail a little bit. And uh, he wasn't afraid to do that. And I think ultimately players respect that. Just kind of talk about that uh, tremendous offense that you guys had here in Kansas City. You ca- you come over here, traded for a first-round pick in 2001. You mentioned the Chiefs had had a couple down years, and it was time to get things kind of re-energized. You wind up throwing for 4,000 yards in four consecutive seasons. We know the offensive line, guys like Willie Rove, Brian Waters, Casey Wigman, the just a tremendous offensive line that you had with Priest Holmes, Dante Halls, Eddie Kennison's, Johnny Morton, Tony Gonzalez, my goodness, Trent. Uh, and you, you, you know, you mentioned not being able to, to get it done in the postseason, but just kind of talk about that offense and how special that group was. And for you know Al Saunders to come in and, and to sort of reset what had been going on uh, for Dick Vermeil in, in St. Louis. You saw all the big numbers, I think, in 2000. You you between you and Kurt Warner, you broke a se- single season record for quarterback passing yards. You come over here and it just continues on. And how special that was, uh, even though that things didn't end uh, maybe the way we wanted to here in Kansas City. You know, it was uh, it was it was great for me, and, and I'm appreciative. I've told Carl this numerous times. I've told Coach Vermeil numerous times uh, when Lamar was uh, Lamar Hunt was still alive. I. I thanked him numerous times for giving me an opportunity. You know, when they traded for me, I was 31 years old. I was coming off of uh, my fourth knee surgery in less than 18 months uh, because I had three, uh, the 99 season prior to 2000 season, uh, I had three um, from the injury I sustained in the, in the preseason of, of 99. And then I knew I had to have another one, but I said, I can't miss a, two seasons in a row. Um, so wow. I was able to make it through the 2000 season knowing that I needed a fourth surgery and so, you know, give credit to Coach and Carl and, and Lamar for ultimately deciding that, that they were going to take a chance on me. So, um, you know, that was a great opportunity for me. I know it was kind of a fresh start for a number of us. You know, Priest Holmes was coming over, undrafted guy in Baltimore. Um, you know, he had, he had uh, you know, he had won a Super Bowl there and, uh, and you know, was looking, looking for more of an opportunity. And, and really, uh, you know, Al Saunders, he was looking for more of an opportunity. He had been with Marty Schottenheimer for 10 years as a receiver coach. He yeah. knew the West Coast offense, but he was with us over in St. Louis and, and learned the Mike Martz offense, learned the North Turner offense that, that we, were, we had kind of implemented over there. And he brought it over and changed things up. Um, you know, so give a lot of credit. Casey Wigman, he was a guy that, you know, Brian Waters undrafted uh, down in Dallas. T. Rich undrafted down in I mean, you got all these guys. Yes, you had the Hall of Famers and first-round picks and Gonzalez and Rofe, um, Hall of Famer and, and Will Shields. You know, you, you put some huge talent. Eddie Kinnison's a former first-rounder. Johnny Morton's a former first-rounder. But you also sprinkle in these guys, you know, undrafted guys or late-round pick guys. Uh, it was just a great um, combination of players, and we all wanted it so bad. And, and you know, we worked at it. It was, it was – the, there was great work ethic and great uh, – uh, the reps that we got in practice. And and as you mentioned earlier, the practices weren't easy in that era, but um, we all had something to prove. And I, and I think, uh, you know, we wanted to go out and prove that every, every Sunday. And uh, we put a lot of work into it and we're, we're proud of, uh, you know, some of those offensive numbers and some of those statistics that, uh, that we were able to get, you know, ultimately it's about, it's about winning. And uh, we just didn't, we just didn't win enough uh, when we needed to, but, uh, but yeah, it was, that was a great era, um, you know, as far as uh, as far as the Chiefs were concerned in terms of offensive firepower. 
Well, Trent, last season, uh, the Chiefs played the Browns in week one. Uh, the, the time they did before that, it was 2002. Chiefs at uh, the Browns, and we had Dick Vermeil and Dwayne Rudd on to kind of relive that memory of Dwayne <laughs> Rudd throwing his helmet. Was that the craziest game you've been in? And just take us through that play of you kind of being spun around, flipping up to Dante, realizing that Wait. the play was going to extend. I mean, just what uh. a game. Well, wait a second. You got Dwayne Red to come on and talk about it? We did. It took a lot of doing, I will say that. He was oh, not too goodness. thrilled about it, but we, we finally goodness. convinced That's, him. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that is cool. That, yeah. <laughs> um, so the crazy thing is, is I know a number of the coaches that were on that staff at the time. And and uh, so, yeah, we've had, we've had some – well, I guess on my side of it, we had some laughs. On their side of it, they had some <laughs> tears. So um, – you know, it was it was just uh, uh, one of those things. Opening opening uh, opening game of the season, and uh, you know, two thousand one had been disappointing. Uh, also, obviously, with nine eleven, kind of shaking things up in the season and what was going on around the country. It just, it just was an emotional roller coaster of things that went on in two thousand and one and two thousand and two. We had uh, we had high expectations. We went into Cleveland and put up a bunch of points, but when it came down to it, here we were, final play of the game. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we needed, we needed points and we were at midfield and, you know, we had Morton Anderson and, and, uh, was like, okay, I can't, you know, the, the one thing, you know, Terry Shea, my quarterback coach with the, with the chiefs at that time, you know, he's like, you know, on the final play, whether it's a two point play or final point of a game, uh, you can't go down with the ball. So I was trying to delay and, and let the receivers get down to the end zone because I didn't, you know, in the amount of time I was going to throw it, there was no way. So I tried avoiding uh, the sack by Rudd. And, and as he was spinning to throw me down, I just kind of caught a glimpse of John Tate out of the corner of my eye. And I, I just happened to flip it towards him as I, before I hit the ground. Now, you have to remember the NFL, you know, they always put uh, emphasis on certain rules. So certain rules that are in place that don't necessarily get enforced as much, they'll say, hey, listen, this rule's been there. We're going to enforce it. We're going to pay a lot of attention to it. So we're going to really enforce it because we haven't been doing a good enough job of it in previous years. And then there's new plays or new penalties that they put in that there's a point of emphasis on those. Well, there was always a point of emphasis or there was always a rule about taking your helmet off in the field of play. Well, it kind of gotten, it had kind of gotten away from officials because guys were, you know, if you remember Emmett Smith after every touchdown, you know, when he was in Dallas in the, in, you know, in the nineties, right. He would take his helmet off. And it, I mean, so I'm not saying it was all Emmett's fault that this happened, but there were a lot of guys <laughs> taking their helmets off in the field of play, whether it be to celebrate offensive play, defensive play, whatever it is. So the NFL that preseason had said, we're going to make a point of emphasis on taking your helmet off. Well, Dwayne, thinking he had the sack and the game was over, threw his helmet off. And uh, it'd be interesting to hear his take on this whole thing. But he threw his helmet off. And, uh, and, and I knew right, the flag comes down and I'm immediately thinking, okay, it's probably a holding call. If it's a holding call, the game's over, you know, because of where the, the, where the flag was thrown. But then I glimpse out of my eye, out of the corner of my eye, and I see Dwayne kind of marching around the field without his helmet on, and he's, like, celebrating the end of the game. And I'm like, hey, guys, we, we got a free play coming. You know, John Tate was rumbling down the <laughs> sideline and everything. And, and I'm like, guys, we got a free play coming. This isn't over uh, because I knew the rule. And, uh, and so sure enough, the, the penalty happened. Morton came on, got the kick and, uh, we won the game and, um, people in Cleveland still hate that story. I've had the Browns numerous times in Cleveland. I can't tell you how many times fans have said something to me about that play. Uh, because, uh, 
because yeah, there was that was that was a, that was a crazy way to end a game, let alone the let alone the season opener. Oh, absolutely yeah. priceless! And we've got I'll have to send you that uh, clip from Dwayne Rudd as we had him on with Coach Vermeil. All, all Dick Vermeil could say was. We were just felt so bad for that other team, man. <laughs> That's what <laughs> for you. I just felt so bad for the Browns. They played so well. Quincy Morgan goes nuts. Kelly Holcomb. And uh, then that happens. That's football for you. That's any, a game could end uh, any possible way. We've learned that. Hey, I but, tell you, hey, not to, not to interrupt you. No. Coach may have felt bad, but he sure as hell was glad we got that win. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Hey, I'll take him any way I could get him. I, I was in college at yes. the time and I just went nuts for that. John Tate. And it wouldn't happen if John Tate hadn't gotten like 20 yards downfield. It yeah. wouldn't been yeah. a close enough field goal so a lot had to well, go well here's right. the here's the funny thing about after we win the game we're on the plane we're going back we're all celebrating it you know i i finally say to john i go john why the hell did you step out of bounds i'm like <laughs> it's the last play of the game if you step out of bounds the game's over I so here here the reality of it is he should have just lateral it or blindly like thrown it up into the air to let somebody you know to let somebody get it right he shouldn't just step out of bounds because yeah. the game's over. so i'm like but had he not done that, let's say he had thrown it up in the air and the Browns get the ball back. It's over. Yeah. Then it's over, or at least the penalty would have been the penalty would have been from the line of scrimmage. Uh, and still that wouldn't have been close enough for Morton Anderson to kick it. Right. But because of because John stepped out of bounds, then the penalty was enforced from where John stepped out of bounds, which all of a sudden made it close enough to kick. So I said. In reality, John, you were in the wrong for not lateraling the ball. I go, but but I'm really glad you didn't lateral the ball because had it been turned over, then that rule that where the position would have been, we you know. Uh, so it's crazy. It's crazy how that all how that all shake up. Oh, this is great, uh, Trip. Before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't get into a, a few things that are happening currently. I, as much as I like to live in the past 20 years ago, I'm a nostalgic person. So that's how I roll. But uh, things are about to kick off. It's football season entering another year. You on CBS with uh, Kevin Harlan, who's tremendous. What a team that is. Can't wait to see what all you guys uh, have. And it's going to be an entertaining one, Trent, especially in the AFC. Things are crazy. No one, I always like to liken this to a supermarket. Sometimes you go in, you get in and out. No one bothers you. You you get in there and you get out of there. Sometimes, Trent, you get in the chip aisle, people are reaching around you. You have no space to yourself and you can't get out of there. Trent, everybody in the AFC this year wants the chips, as we've been saying. Everybody <laughs> wants a piece of this thing. And uh, I don't know if we've ever seen a, a crazier time in the AFC West. I mean, in the AFC, uh, in around 2004, when you're in Kansas City, you had you know guys like Philip Rivers, Roethlisberger were rookies, yourself, Brady, uh, Manning were in their prime. So, I mean, there's been times where we've seen great quarterbacks in this league, but my goodness, this is going to be a wild ride this year, is it not? It's uh, it's going to be incredible, and and I th- this is the first time I've heard anybody use the analogy of the chip aisle and grabbing <laughs> chips. So I give you I give you credit for that. I uh, if it pops up on air at some point in time, I'll I'll, I'll give you credit. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, the AFC is wide open, um, and as you said, there's a lot of different a lot of different flavors, a lot of different ways you can go about it um, when you look at. You know, let's just go through the different divisions, right? You got the Bills. You can't always – you can never really give up on New England. Uh, the Dolphins were in great position. They have a good defense. You know, what's going to happen with Tyreek coming over and Tua, what's, how's his growth going to be? Uh, you know, that division uh, – you know, who knows with the Jets? You know, you keep saying it, at some point in time the Jets got to turn it around, right? They keep having all these all these uh, really high draft picks, so you got to figure that's going to happen. Then you go to the AFC North and you got Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Cincinnati, and, you know, that that, that division's loaded. Uh, I think the AFC South is probably 
Um, you know, when you talk about Jacksonville and Houston, what's going to happen with those two clubs? You know, it's more right now you're thinking it's more of an Indianapolis, Tennessee thing, but you know, it's football. So you never know. And then, uh, and then ultimately the AFC West, I think you can make an argument for any of the four teams. Uh, I tend to think Kansas city, when you, uh, you know, you've won six division titles in a row, you've hosted four consecutive conference championships in a row, which has never been done, you know, prior to the merge. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you've got to, that are leaning the way of Andy Reid and, and, uh, and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and the, the revamped youth and speed that's, that's on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. So, um, you know, having Russell Wilson in Denver changes things up quite a bit because that really, uh, you know, the defense they have there, even though Vaughn Miller's gone, um, you know, he was, he was gone with the Rams a, a year ago. They traded him away, and now he's, now he's moved on. They just have a lot of pieces in Denver. Uh, the Raiders, Devontae Adams, the fact he's back with Carr, um, you know, former college teammates. And, you know, they've got, you know, Chandler Jones and, and uh, Max Crosby coming off the edges. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a formidable um, every time they're on the field. Uh, you look at uh, and, and what the Chargers have done. Um, they're, they're stacked. So it's really going to be a fun division. I think it's going to be uh, extremely difficult for the Chiefs to do it again. But as I said, uh, I tend to favor uh, the winning record and the history that uh, that Mahomes has as a starter and what Andy Reid's been able to do. Uh, but it's not going to be easy, and it's going to be a lot of fun for us as fans. Yeah, and everybody wants to say the Chiefs are going to be fine without Tyreek Hill. They got MVS. They've got Juju. Still have McCall Hardman. They drafted Sky Moore. But uh, is, there, is that really the case? Can we just say the Chiefs have a more well-rounded wide receiver core, so they're going to be fine without Tyreek Hill? Aren't they going to miss him some way, somehow? Well, they're, de they're definitely going to miss him. I mean, there, there's a reason why Tyreek was paid the way he was paid. I mean, yeah. it's, it, and why he commanded the trade that he commanded. And the, I mean, the numbers that he's put up, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, and it's interesting as a broadcaster, you know, when you, when you watch teams play him for the first time, uh, you know, they, they think, okay, I can take this angle because this is the angle I always take. But with him, you can't, you know, and, and it's just no matter what you do from film study and, oh, this guy's fat. I mean, it's just it's a different type of speed. And, and uh, I do think the Chiefs will be okay. I think Andy Reid uh, is, if not the best, one of the best play callers in terms of getting guys in position to have success and the way he moves people around and the way Patrick spreads the ball around. Um, you know, Travis is going to be Travis. As long as he stays healthy, he's still going to put up the numbers because a lot of what, uh, a lot of trust from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you know, are on Travis Kelsey. And, and I think it'll be a situation where the ball spread out a lot more as opposed to so much of an emphasis being on Tyreek Hill. I think the ball will be spread around a lot more from, from a wide receiver standpoint. Um, so to completely say, yeah, they're going to be fine and they're not going to miss Tyreek, I think that's a little naive. But I do think it'll be a little bit different from an offensive standpoint and that the ball will be spread more amongst the wide receivers and not just a focal point of, uh, of Tyreek. Yeah. Well, uh, Trent, you know, we're entering year five of Patrick Mahomes and um, you know, he's, he's been seasoned four straight years in the AFC championship game. He's led this franchise to just unprecedented heights here. So far be it for me to, to question anything about uh, kind of who he is, what he does, but we see him. He's a man about town. Uh, he's killing beers on golf courses from coast <laughs> to coast. Right. Um, right. With the second child on the way, as he kind of enters this next phase of his career, you know, that Travis Kelsey's not going to be here forever. Uh, you know, Tyree kills moved on. Andy Reid's not going to coach forever. At some point, um, things kind of change as a quarterback. You talked about yourself being 31. 
going to, to Kansas City. Do you feel like that now's the time or maybe in the future we'll see a different Patrick Mahomes where maybe he's not quite as visible in the public eye? And uh, we heard that his trainer, Bobby Stroop, has moved to Kansas City to keep working with him. We don't question the work ethic. We see the results. So, But do you think that maybe his, his just level of dedication, that his life will kind of steer him in, in, a, in a different path here coming up? Well, first off, I can't even understand how it would be to be in your mid-20s be the league MVP, right. be a Super Bowl champion, be a Super Bowl champion MVP, and to have a half a billion dollar contract. So um, that is not something that I experienced or how I knew how to handle. Uh, I think right. he handled it really well. I yeah. think when you consider the age that he is and, and the success that he's had, um, you know, the success he's had on the field, the success he's had personally and, and as a team member, um, you know, there's no question that, questioning the work ethic uh, to more directly to your uh, to your question is, I think all of us as players, you, you evolve through different, different stages as a player. If, if you're fortunate enough to play a long enough time, you, you develop um, different stages in your career, right? Where, where you know, you, you come in and you're, you know, in his, his, his case, he comes in, he's athletic, and the game's always come easy to him. He just run around. He's just out playing ball, right? He's just, don't, don't overthink it. Just go out and do what you do and play ball and everything. And then as you learn more about it, as the game slows down, as you as you mentioned, age and, and move up. And now all of a sudden he's got a little bit more of a veteran presence and, you know, he has more say in what's going on from a protection standpoint and play calling all those things uh, as his life evolves. He just got married this off season. Uh, they're expecting their second child coming up. Um, you know, all those things are part of the process. I remember, you know, talking to, to people that, that weren't in the football world as I was a player and they always wanted to say, Hey, how, how's the, is the locker room divided as a black and white? Is the locker room divided as an offense, defense? And I said, no, the, the, the locker room, or at least when I was in the league, the locker room was more about the single guys, the guys that were young, that you know, didn't have significant others, whatever. Maybe they all kind of hung out together, right? They played video games. They did what? They, whatever it was, they, they went to dinner together, hung out, watched film, whatever. Um, the guys that were couples, right? The guys that were either married, engaged, longtime girlfriends, whatever it may be. Uh, they hung out together. And then you had the guys that had kids and families and those families tend to hang out together when they could, because the kids were doing different things and you run on different schedules. So as you go through the different stages of life, that also changes as a stage as you are as a player as well. And, and, and how you manage your time and how you handle things and just the different um, things that you're getting tugged in different directions, whether it be, you know, family commitments or community commitments or organizational commitments, media commitments, uh, those are all things you have to balance and, and, and have people around you that help you balance all those things. So to answer your question, I, th I think Patrick's considering all the success he's had in, in a number of different ways early in his career. I think he's handled it tremendously well. And I do think that as he evolves and he, and he grows as a player and as a person, as a parent, as a husband, uh, I think all those things will continue to evolve and grow. And, and I think I think it's pretty evident. I think you can see it now. I, I was up at training camp a couple days this week, uh, and I think he just has much more of a command of things. Uh, you know, he's much more involved in conversations with, you know, you look at him, uh, his engaging with other players and uh, other position groups and asking him questions and different coaches. I mean, you just, he carries himself differently, at least in my eyes. I can, I can see that maturation and, and how he's grown as a player. Well, Trent, uh, 
we can't thank you enough for, for your time today. We can't wait to see you in Canton. I know you're going to be catching up with a lot of people, a lot of conversations, a lot of memories, all going to come rushing back. This is tremendous, and I hope you enjoy every second. Real quick, before we cut you loose, man, uh, i got to get an update. I know what a family man you are and your two boys, Derek and TJ. I know the uh, TJ finished up, uh, like it seemed like he was at Northwestern, like 10 years, had a great <laughs> career. Right. And Derek, yeah. the last I'd heard, had been in the transfer portal from SMU. Just kind of update us on the Green Boys and kind of what's going on in, in, in the family these days. All right. I'll, uh, yeah, real quick. The, uh, so TJ, yes, he is, he is done. Uh, he was at Northwestern and, and had a redshirt year, had a medical year, could have had a seventh year as a COVID year. And he's like, dad, I'm good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, he, uh, so he, he left with a, with a bunch of degrees and, uh, yeah, he starts, starts work here in, in September and, uh, is going to stay up in Chicago and, and, uh, build awesome. a good foundation up there. And we're, we're proud of him and excited for him. And, um, I'm going to see him here in a couple weeks when, uh, when the chiefs play the bears in the preseason. Yep. So we've already, uh, we've kind of organized getting together for that. Um, and then, as you said, Derek just graduated from, uh, from SMU this past spring. Uh, he did a grad transfer over to long Island university, which is a, uh, FCS school on long Island in New York. Um, they're a program that was a, a highly successful D2 program for a long time. And this will be their fourth year at the FCS level. Uh, they hired a new head coach, a guy that's got a lot of Division One head coaching experience and, and as an assistant uh, at the Division One level and brought in a bunch of assistants. And so um, they came after Derek right away. We, did, we didn't know anything about it. I didn't even – I never even heard of LIU. And and, um, and Derek was just like, hey, this is this is a program that's up and coming. I got an opportunity to play. And he's got a – you know, he's got a redshirt year and a COVID year, so he's got a couple years of eligibility. I said, listen, the amount of work you put in, if you want to keep playing, keep playing because when it's done, it's done. So – um, so he's going to go out there and, and continue, uh, n now he'll be working towards his MBA and, and getting an opportunity to, uh, to play a couple more years of football. And then, uh, and then we have, uh, we still have our daughter is at home. Yep. Um, she's going to be a junior in high school, uh, and she's in the, uh, the crazy volleyball world. So oh, we, yeah. uh, <laughs> once, once the football season ends, I'm, I'm volleyball dad. We, uh, we travel all over the country and, Fortunately for her, she's had some success. Her team has had some, some success. And uh, she just committed to the University of Cincinnati uh, nice. to play volleyball awesome. uh, after she graduates from high school. So uh, I ran into Travis at practice the other day and I said, hey, listen, you got another Bearcat. That's so, right. <laughs> uh, just so you know, I said, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Cincinnati here in a couple of years. So, uh, yeah, I'm, we're really proud of her. And, and uh, you know, having the two older brothers to look up to, she's had a, a good example of hard work and and how to put in that work. And, uh, you know, fortunately for her, it paid off, but we're, uh, yeah, really proud. Um, this is my proud dad. Yeah. You asked me yeah. to brag on him. I'm That's bragging right. on him. This so, was it. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I got, I have got no complaints. Well, and now you got somewhere to crash. If you're, if you're in New York, Chicago, Cincinnati, you're doing a game. You just tell <laughs> CBS, right. tell CBS, don't worry about the downtown Marriott. I've got this. I've got it. We're good. Uh, That's so, right. I, so now I can't get enough of, you know, uh, yeah. Any Jets games they want to give me. I never right. would have said that, but now I'm like, okay, I'll take the Jets game. So like, you want to give me a Bears game. And now uh -huh. the Bengals, you know, we, we've had the Bengals a bunch over the years, Kevin and I have. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, pulling to get, uh, get some Bengals games at least a couple times when uh, when she gets over there. Well, Trent, we'll be watching all preseason. Then, of course, all season long on CBS. You do great work. Tremendous. Thanks for joining us. We kept you far too long, more than I wanted to, but it was so great. Thanks so much for doing it, and we'll uh, catch up again soon, my friend. Enjoy this weekend. Hey, I appreciate that. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, uh, 
knowing two of the two of the three organizations that the coaches with, there, there's a lot of coaches and personnel and players, people I haven't seen in a long, long time. Uh, it's it's going to be a great weekend, and we're, we're all there for the same reason, and that's to celebrate Coach Vermeil and what an unbelievable yep. career he's had. So I appreciate your time, guys. Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks, Absolutely, thank you. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Trent Green for the first time here on the Elite Sports Podcast. It is years in the making. We got a great connection from our friend Kevin Keatsman that said, just just text him. He'll come on with you. Sure enough, there. that's how quick it happens. And that was tremendous. As I look back to it, I think back to that resurgence of Kansas City football. And I look at what Trent Green has done in the broadcasting booth, uh, starting off with Fox, now with CBS, what he did with Greg Gumbel, now with Kevin Harlan. That's one of my probably two or three favorite teams going in, in, in football. I think Trent has been a rising star uh, amongst the stars as broadcasters now have continued to become bigger stars and more important in uh, you know the industry. I, to, the, to see the crazy money that Amazon Prime was throwing at Al Michaels and Kirk Street, Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman going to ESPN. Wow. It's only going to be exciting to see where someone like a Trent Green goes from here because he's still young. And let's just face it, there's a reason that it was a good thing that he wasn't on video with us. It's because he would have made us look bad. Trent Green's great all around, and the camera loves him much more than it would love, say, us. Yeah, I don't know uh, if we have careers in the booth, but uh, we've got careers on these podcasts and video shows. We can skate by with that uh, live national television. I don't uh, think we'd cut it, but man, we got into so many topics. Uh, I brought up that uh, Dwayne Rudd game in 2002 against the Browns, and he had so much to say about that. That was great to hear to get kind of his in-depth take on it, him being spun around, flipping it out to John Tate and a miraculous come from behind win there. And uh, yeah, we got we got to make sure we send him that uh, clip of Dick Vermeil and Dwayne Rudd uh, when we had them on earlier this uh, this past season. It was crazy that we got Dwayne on, but yeah, I mean, hearing his take on it, we got to get that over to Trent. Yeah, we sure do. And uh, Trent brought up some great points about his relationship with uh, Coach Vermeil, how special it is. We you know feel like just that in the last couple of years that we've gotten to know Coach. He's been on our show multiple times. In fact, we had him on right before the infamous Chiefs Bills playoff game. Uh, just as he, we were kind of finding out that he was going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame after not making the cut there for a few years, Dick Vermeil now bound for Canton, bound for glory, and on the precipice of immortality. And we were able to get Coach Vermeil's thoughts on becoming uh, a member of that uh, elite group of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And just want to take you back to those comments and and let uh, Coach Vermeil say it for himself. I looked it up. There's 27 coaches are already in and to be one of the 28 yeah. is amazing you're two other ram coaches you know i just so many different thoughts are going through my right mind right now and it's it's, it's almost a selfish feeling and there's so many people responsible for this opportunity that i have that, that uh, it's going to take you know i've had time to think about it in case it did happen <coughs> so there's so many facets man it's kind of surreal when you hear the comments and you have trick green on and knowing that Coach Vermeil has has accomplished this, and he's still just so active and so such a wonderful and inquisitive football mind, even at this stage of his life in his mid eighties. It's it's truly surreal. I looked at at Coach Vermeil as just a rock star of a coach. You know, whenever I was young, and he was the coach of the Chiefs, he had just won that Super Bowl in St. Louis. Knowing him, you know, just the the legend of him and Ron Jaworski and Vince Papali in Philadelphia, and what he meant to that community. So three franchises, and not to mention. Uh, you know, his time at UCLA, taking them to the Rose Bowl, beating Ohio State and, and Woody Hayes, 
And so coach Vermeil, he's been there and done it all for him and his wife, Carol, and for uh, all the fraternity of the players that you'll see there from the Rams in 99, the Kurt Warners and Tory Holtz and Isaac Bruce's and Marshall Fox to Trent Green's, Tony Gonzalez's, Priest Holmes up and down. This is just, this is going to be a special time for not only coach, all those players as well. Yeah, and all the fans in Kansas City, uh, it's kind of there. Uh, if you're going to be out there at Canton, their time to kind of tip their hat and sure. coach for everything that they've done, the Rams fans, Eagles, Bruins fans, everything that he brought, uh, the physicality, the tough practices, the mindset of going into games, the great offenses, and just the personal touch, the emotional touch uh, that he kind of gave you a sneak peek behind the curtain, how much this game means to him, how much the players mean to him on and off the field. And uh, Trent talked a little bit about that as well. Not just about what he did on the field, but it just has just as much to do about what he did for them off the field. So round of applause for Dick Vermeil. No one more deserving. And man, it's going to be great to, to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And it, it gives me hope too, that someday we'll see our, our pal Marty Schottenheimer make it in. Yeah, um, That's not to be for next year, but we are, hopeful that we can get that going. I think you talk about nobody more deserving. I think Marty would now fun, fall into that category. Now that coach Vermeil is in nobody more deserving, uh, except maybe an Otis Taylor that they're going to have to try to, uh, hopefully get in at some time as well, a former chief. So a lot to get into the season is starting. We've got the hall of fame game, Jaguars Raiders. Don't worry. Uh, if this game isn't quite, you know, must see television, let's just say, <laughs> we got more coming. It's just getting started, guys. And little spoiler alert, um, you're just going to have to join us next week because Jared Allen's going to be joining us, our good buddy. Jared Allen, you mentioned it, going into the Ring of Honor for the Minnesota Vikings. He's going to be on with us next week talking about all that and hopefully get into some of the current stuff too because the last time we spoke with Jared, it was prior to that Chiefs-Bills playoff game. He was a Bills fan growing up. He picked the Chiefs by the thinnest of margins. In fact, Dick Vermeil on that very show said he his metrics had the Chiefs by one point, and that's how razor thin the margin was. Yes. Chiefs wind up winning it by, what, six in overtime, but that's how thin it was, and they both hit it on the head. So thank you so much for joining us here on The Elite. Again, our website, starcademedia.com. That's where everything we do is uh, archived under all of our interviews, podcasts, uh, articles, breaking news. It's all there, starcademedia.com. But no, what we really like is the interaction on social media. You can find us, Starcade Media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dare I say it, TikTok. Get a little That's stock dance in us. We got to get some of those up there. We've got old wrestling clips, football clips. We got to do some of these uh, TikTok viral dances. That's next for Starcade Media on TikTok. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Elite Sports Podcast. For Clint Schweitzer, Noah Groninger, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you so much.